Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Uh, so Saturday was our alumni baseball game for Montini, um, and I didn't realize how easy it would be for a 26-year-old to be super washed up, uh, but I'm pretty hurting. Like, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if it's a little bit of a sickness or whatever or just trying to play baseball uh, after not playing baseball for a very long time. It's rough. I'm not doing great. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm just visualizing Jordan trying to pitch or do whatever he did after all those years. And it's kind of funny. Three innings. I'm doing well. I did well. Three innings, two hits. Yeah. I played well. It's just, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like you're, you're just not used to using those muscles anymore. And your body is just like confused. After, Any muscles but... really, but <laughs> Jordan, I hope you ran plenty of polls after the game for uh, any lack of hustle that you might've had just to keep yourself fresh. Uh, but anyway, it's great to hear, boys. Uh, we have quite a bit to cover in the episode before we get started. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SocksOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SocksOn35th. We won a baseball series this week, and we happened to win it against the Minnesota Twins. In fact, the White Sox have happened to have a pretty good run of baseball in the past week, really since the, uh, the Andrew Vaughn walk-off. So guys, uh, Nick, I'll let you go ahead and start with this. How are we feeling about the Chicago White Sox right now after what we just saw this past week? I mean, it's hard to feel anything but positive relative to the last few weeks. I mean, they're, like I just said, they're watchable with the exception of that one extra inning game against Minnesota where like everything went wrong. Like they're, they look like they're having fun. You know, people are, are hustling more and, they're actually hitting home runs now, which is nice. They're up to about the middle of the pack in the league in that category, which is always, to me, the most important to see how the offense is doing. So overall, it's just nice to have a baseball team that is playing competitive baseball, kind of like what we were seeing earlier in the year after the Astros series. Like They went 2-2 two and two that series, but we were all encouraged by how they competed, and we thought that if they kept doing that going forward, it would be good. They stopped doing that, but maybe they're doing it again. Maybe it's a little too late. We can get to that later, but... For the time being, it's just nice to be able to watch a baseball game and not be sitting through it, but actually enjoying it at times. Yeah, I think you made the exact point relative to the rest of the season. It's a good week. Uh, it feels good. You feel positive relative to everything else that's going on. Um, you're going to need to string together a few of these weeks. Uh, this is the time in the schedule to do it, and I, I think we said it last week, you know, you don't have the luxury of time anymore. You need to have a 5-1, and 4-2 and two week every time. I would have preferred this week to be 5-1 and one if we're going to be a little bit harsh on the week. The reality is at least three or four times they should have swept the Twins uh, in that extra inning game. And you don't like going to Cincinnati with a, a truly rebuilding team and dropping a game there. So it's like th there were chances to go 5-1, and 6-0 and oh on the week that they didn't capitalize on, but there was enough positive to say, like, all right, now you can start to build on this. Now we can start to push the doom and gloom a little bit further down the line if necessary, but you at least feel better going into next week than you did coming from last week into this one. Well, I, and you know, I think you guys both make really important points is how excited you can be relative to where we are in the season. 
Um, I, I am I am a proponent, and I have been the last few episodes that it is still early. So like I will give I will give credit where it's due that if there was any time for this team to turn it around, it was right now. Like there was there was no there was really no ability to mess around. There's no ability to uh, try to push this down road road a little bit more. There was no ability to sit there and complain about injuries. It was time for guys to step up. Um, and I think we saw a little bit of that. You know, I, th- I think you see a guy like Hanser Alberto looking a little bit more like the depth piece he was supposed to look like, you know, whereas he was a guy in the first month of the season that looked awful. Looked, looked like a absolutely wa- absolute waste of a roster spot that a guy like Leora Garcia probably could have filled. Um, and you see a little bit more of his versatility this week. Now, is he a, is he a, is he a world beater? Probably not. But um, I think you're starting to see some of those depth guys look a little bit better. You know, Gavin Sheets um, continuing to play some fairly consistent baseball compared to what he's played throughout the course of his career. Um, Aloy Jimenez was red hot. Obviously, we'll get to the Aloy Jimenez news here in a little bit. Um, and then, you know, a guy like Luis Robert. He, uh, he was a guy who uh, – you could see the difference in him the second he came back from being benched last week, you know, and I feel like we spent a lot of last week's episode on the Luis Robert situation. And I think it is important to note that Luis Robert is somebody who has probably been one of the best players for the Chicago White Sox in the past week on this winning streak. Um, and then you add in the fact that we have Tim Anderson back. Um, you have the rotation that's pitched pretty well. I, I, I think all things considered, bullpens play uh, pitch pretty well as well. Um, you know, you can say what you want about that uh, extra inning games against the Twins, but there is definitely positivity to be seen with this team, and this was the right time to do it. With your point, Jordan, that I 100% agree with, does this continue? Because there, you've worked yourself into a situation where there is so little room for error that we cannot accept anything less than 500 every single week moving forward. And it's kind of nice that, kind of as you mentioned, Luis Robert looks like the better version of Luis Robert when you kind of need him to be. He's going to be the ups and downs type guy. I don't think that'll ever change. He's walked, if you include Sunday's game, he's walked more times this month than, what, the six games we've had in May um, than he did in all of April. Like, that's a positive. That's improvement. That That's showing a little bit of, of growth and of life. Um, I, I think the 100-mile-an-hour fastball he homered on over the right, fi- right center field fence on, what was that, either Friday, I believe. On Friday, that was, like, a truly good swing. Like, there were good things about Luis Roberts' week, outside of just the results. Um, and that makes me feel good about some of his performance as well as we look to continue to build on, you know, as fans looking at it week after week after week, needing to see improved play on the field. That certainly is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that with Robert in particular, it, it's kind of like a thing where both things are, are true. I think to Duke's point, you absolutely see a difference in him after being benched in terms of hustle and just looking like he wants to be there. I think that... You can't really deny it. that's better based on watching him. But to what Jordan was saying, he also, and I know Duke agrees too, he also is a very streaky player by nature. If you look at his whole career, he'll have a three-week stretch where he looks like he doesn't even know how to play baseball, at the plate at least. And then he'll have three weeks where he's carrying your offense. And I think that's what's so nice about him is, I mean, obviously you want the consistency. Like, Don't get me wrong, I don't think it's nice that he has bad stretches. But at the same time, it's nice that maybe this is the stretch that makes fans realize, okay, he will have another, you know, a month from now, maybe we're once again talking about how bad he looks at the plate. And that's fine because you have faith that he'll get out of it and it's just a rut. And, you know, maybe you drop him in the order during those stretches, like Jordan's been saying all year, and then move him back up when he's hitting like this. But <laughs> but overall, I just think that... That's all I wanted. Very that's streaky. all I wanted. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you didn't want him benched. You didn't want him in AAA. That's um, all I, I mean, wanted. Some people did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, he's just very streaky. That's really all there is to it. And I think that it's a combination of that and, you know, maybe he needed that um, accountability last weekend. Yeah, and that's that right there is the key word is accountability. You know, I think Pedro Gafal uh, showed a lot of character by being able to do that with a player who is widely considered one of the best, if not the highest upside on our entire roster. Uh, but the last seven days for Luis Robert, 23 plate appearances, 17 official at-bats, eight hits, two home runs, five RBIs, um, just four strikeouts, batting 471 with a 609 on base percentage and a 941 slugging with a 1.55 OPS. Very much improved from what we have seen from him in in the in the recent past, you know. And I think the entire key with Luis Robert, you know, whether or not we're going to see if he's going to be consistent or not, is seeing a full season of Luis Robert. Right now, we're on the right track. Knock on wood, of course. Um, but to see a full, even like 140 plus games of Luis Robert, we'll have a lot better of an idea of whether this is going to be uh, how he is going to be in his career, or if this is just you know kind of a peak and valley early on in his career, you know, because there has been a lot of uh, superstar baseball players who have started out their careers streaky like this but once they turn it on and kind of figure out how to do it on a consistent basis have turned into some of the best baseball play some of the best players in baseball so it's some of that major league development that we feel like hasn't been happening as an outsider looking in over the course of what the last three four years they've been kind of trying to compete during this rebuild phase it feels like that major league level development's been missing and you can argue what happened in the last administration's a weird word, but administration can argue what happened there and kind of figure out where do the pieces fall in terms of development. You're going to need to see progress, though, at some point from these hitters, and I think taking, like, five walks in six or seven games is... It's too small of a sample size to say, yep, we've made a change, but it's at least encouraging enough to feel like, all right, I'm intrigued, I want to see more, let's see where this growth can continue. Yeah, and that's and that is the key to Luis Robert is seeing if he can continue to do this on a consistent basis. Um, it's almost scary what you can see this guy do when you really see him putting absolutely everything into a game, and uh, really seems like he's preparing for each uh, pitching pitching matchup as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if any of the coaches came out and said that Luis has really been doing his homework um, as of recently. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think. I think so far, you know, we, we spent most of the episode last week, like I said earlier, uh, on Luis Robert, and uh, he's answered the bell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you want to look at other positives throughout the week, starting pitching is starting to look really good again. I think there's still some shaky things that, you know, if we talk about are they going to keep winning, I think there are questions to be answered there still. But overall, the pitching's looked improved. You can see them trending for the most part in the right direction. There are still blips on the radar here and there. Um, but at least overall, things are trending in the right direction there. Yeah, and, you know, I think um, I think a good example would be, honestly, for what he is at this point in his career, Lance Lynn. I think Lance has started to show a little bit more consistency over the past his past few starts and spe- uh, specifically. Have they been perfect? Absolutely not. But they've been a little bit more in line of what we need from him at that point in the rotation, you know, and I think you see a little bit more from the rest of the rotation as well. Um, obviously, Dylan Cease is Dylan Cease. Um, and, you know, I think uh, while Michael Kopech still has issues with the long ball, I think he's starting to improve as well. Um, I, these are these are things that need to continue, you know, as we've already said, moving in the right direction for the rest of the week and uh, or the rest of the season moving forward before we can really get too excited about it. But it's something we're going to need if we want to stand any chance of really getting back into this thing. 
Yeah, there are definitely reasons for encouragement. I mean, like Duke said earlier, Tim Anderson being back, even if he's not quite at his normal performance yet, I'm assuming he will be. I mean, he's the last player I have performance-based doubts about on this team. And then on the offensive side, you also, it's not confirmed exactly when he'll be back, but it seems pretty clear that Moncada is, is close. I mean, he went two for two with a home run and a walk in his rehab game on Sunday in Charlotte. He was playing third base. He wasn't DHing. Uh, it sounded like before Sunday's game, Pedro Griffel said he could be back Monday, depending on how he feels. And the numbers from that game tell you he's probably feeling pretty good. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we see Moncada back for Monday in Kansas City. But if not Monday, it shouldn't be too long after. You'd think it would be in the coming week. So that's a big boost, too, because with Jake Berger playing really well this year, it was a manageable loss. But now with Berger also on the injured list, it became a huge loss. Although, you know, Alberto had a good weekend, but I'm not confident in that continuing so it'll be really nice to have a uh, another on-base threat in the lineup to kind of balance out the way they've been playing lately and I'm, I'm hoping that happens uh, on Monday yeah no and I think I think Mankata being called back up as well as Liam Hendricks who those guys both got sent to Charlotte around the same time and they've uh they, they've looked pretty pretty well pretty good down there especially Liam uh pitched a scoreless inning but um, that's that's really important to kind of seeing how this roster is going to end up uh, working out here in the next few weeks, um, because obviously we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room with uh, Aloy Menez likely being out the next four to six weeks with appendicitis. Um, you know, this is something where, you know, the fan base normally it's a situation where it's like, oh, are we really surprised Aloy Menez got injured again? You know, that's just the reality of it. That's how everybody kind of feels about it. But, you know, it, it's just a shame for Aloy, you know, because in the last seven games he was in the last seven days, he was batting over 500. You know, he was he was easily the hottest bat in our lineup. He was just absolutely mashing baseballs. Hit, you know, he was hitting everything in sight. He was good. At, he was doing a good job taking walks as well, um, getting on base at a pretty good clip. Um, it, it's a real shame to kind of see where uh, where that happens. But that's something Luis, or that's something that uh, Aloy really can't control. That's that's where it's a shame, you know, because this is this is a guy who's just been absolutely snake bitten by injuries. Um, it's just one of these things where none, nobody on this planet is safe from appendicitis. I, I, if you think you are, if you think you got the, the iron guts, you are kidding yourself, my friend. Um, so hopefully um, we can get some guys back injected in the offense. I know it's been the, the tail of the White Sox really since 2020 is really just supplementing the guys that get injured by returning injured guys. But that's, that's, that is a positive. And I'm really excited to see a guy like you on Mankata who uh, – was really hot before he got injured. He was, he really kind of felt like the lifeblood of the lineup there for a minute. And I'm interested to see how he looks uh, with how that all fills out. And Jake Berger, obviously coming back, hopefully sooner rather than later to kind of pick up the slack with DH as well with Aloy out for a long period of time. So with that all out of the way, guys, uh, Jordan, I'll let you go ahead and take this. Um, do you believe that this is enough to really supplement the White Sox really making a run at this? Like, is this is this all just fool's gold? Is this all just us getting excited over nothing? Or is this something do you think that can actually be uh, sustained? I mean, it's hard to say yes when the teams that you played were the Twins and the Reds. However, the Twins aren't a good team and they play in your division. So the reality is that you can feel pretty good about beating up on them and probably should have swept them. The concern for me is still a little... I know I just said the positive was the rotation. Um, There's still a concern for me there. Dylan Cease hasn't looked like himself yet. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying how much longer does that take. And I know we are not all expecting maybe a Cy Young every year, but a 450 ERA is a little bit 
too much for the, the talent level he has. On the flip side, I know Duke, I'll probably piss you off here a little bit. I'm still not convinced by Michael Kopech's uh, stretch of starts. Uh, don't roll your eyes. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, everyone will look at this and be like, Jordan, you know, you were the big cease guy before he showed anything. What's the difference here? The difference is in the pitch quality. You know, if you looked at Cease's stuff, he had two truly elite pitches, slider, curveball. And we looked at it and said, well, if you fix the fastball shape, you fix the command, you're golden. Like You can make that story pretty well. With Kopech, he's got two above-average pitches in his slider and his fastball, but it's like, is above-average enough to be that sort of lockdown starting pitcher? I'm, I'm Again, I'm still very open to it. I'm just saying I'm not sitting here saying I've been convinced by what's happening as a result. That's why I can go either way with this start because it's like, yeah, things have been better this week. There's enough here for me to feel good about this, but there's still a lot holding me back. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's like we've been saying, they're taking steps in the right direction, but I'm not sure how many steps they're going to be able to take because they're going to need many to get to where they need to be. And it might sound unfair from our end to say, um, like, for example, what Jordan said earlier on this podcast and at the end of last week, he said that they basically need to go five and one this week, maybe four and two. Like you've, you've dug yourself such a hole that you can't just be going, you know, three and three all the time. Like you have to be above 500. And it might sound unfair, but it's like when you play 250 baseball for the first 28 games of the season, like that that's basically what you have to do. And I think the reason that, the only reason that I'm not saying like 100%, there's no chance they do anything. The only reason is because the AL Central is so bad that I don't I don't think that the winner of the division will be like 81-81. I don't think it's that bad. But I do think it could be like an 86-87 win kind of thing, which is still unlikely, but not technically impossible. I know the stat that no team has ever started 7-21 um, and 21 or worse and then finished above 500 or whatever. I think that the Sox probably will not be the outlier there, but you never know. They are playing better. And while I do agree with Jordan's concerns about the rotation, and I personally still have concerns about the offense being too ground ball happy and, as we all know, too injury prone, I think that there's still enough upside where I'm still, you know, my my interest is still peaked. I'm still watching the games, and I'm not just watching like it's a rebuild. Like, oh, I just want these three players to do well. Like, I'm still watching the games and rooting for victories, <laughs> like, as, as above all, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the number one thing. I think anybody who wants to sit here and not root for victories at this point in the season, like, what do you, what do you really have to gain? You know what I mean? Like, we kind of need the White Sox as they're currently built to win baseball games. Otherwise, we're going to have to say goodbye to, you know, whether whether you're hardened or not, we're going to have to say goodbye to some of our favorite players because it's a, it's going to be a blow-it-up type of situation if we end up playing baseball similar to how we played in the first part of the season. Um, I think you guys both brought up really important points as far as the, uh, the AL Central goes because the Minnesota Twins are a team that does not really strike too much fear in me as far as even not, not even that when we're not playing each other but playing other teams outside of the division. I don't think they're a team that can necessarily handle business against the better teams in baseball. Um, and I think that's, that's important. You know, I think Jordan, I think you said it earlier in the show, like winning a series against, you know, well, it's the Twins. Well, the Twins are one of the best. While the Twins aren't one of the best teams in baseball by any stretch of the imagination, they somehow are one of the best teams in the AL Central, and that's that's really what our what we have to stack up against. 
you know, is this great that we're kind of using this as an, an example to look at a team getting into the playoffs to play some of these better, better teams in AL Central? You know, probably not. You know, you'd prefer the Chicago White Sox to be kind of running away with the division that's playing the way the AL Central has been playing. But if uh, if you're a believer in somebody who can kind of buy into the underdog mentality, who can kind of buy into some of the uh, the older stories in baseball that you have to, you have to you have to acknowledge that yes, they are the exception, not the rule. But if you can buy into miraculous comebacks in a season, you know, this team does have the talent to do it. And I think that's what keeps me sticking around is I truly believe in the natural talent of this team. Um, I believe in the nucleus of this team when they are playing well. Um, I think we were seeing it in the Cincinnati Red Series uh, as we're closing it out in Cincinnati. Um, I think you see a team that this, that's a team that this team could be, you know, and I don't think that's crazy to think in the Yale Central where Cleveland has really not decided to run away with it. The Twins are meddling, and uh, come on, Detroit and Kansas City or Detroit and Kansas City. Hopefully that doesn't come back to burn us because we should be able to handle business against those guys as well. But the key is, in the grand scheme of things, when we're getting down to brass tacks, the Yale Central is not that good, and uh, we're, it, that's, that's what's keeping it alive for me, I feel like. And you mentioned one other thing, too. You know, we sat through – a lot of years of losing as fans. It's like, is losing probably the best for this team if you want to see true change in the organization? Yes. Like, that's the reality of the situation. But you sat through so much losing. Why are you rooting for losses now? Like, there's still, it's, it's an outside chance. But didn't you watch enough losing baseball? Like, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they found a way to turn this around and keep this fun and exciting throughout the summer. Like, some people are making that out to be a bad thing. I don't think it is, even if it means delaying the inevitable for some of the organizational changes we're hoping would come one day. But it's like, at the end of the day, you want to see this team win. You're, you're fans first and foremost. And I think we forget that sometimes in the analysis and the breaking down of the team. Like, we watched a lot of losing for these games to be good games. I'd rather we see more good ones, even if a shakeup that we all feel like is necessary, maybe with the players, so on and so forth, wherever you want to place your blame and frustration, winning is still fun. It's still what we're all aiming for here. Yeah, and I mean, I think you have to look at the flip side of it, where the White Sox have had seasons, I always think of the Todd Frazier season, I believe it was in like 20, what, 2015, 2014, where this team started just shot out of a cannon, looked like the best team in baseball and just completely fell apart down the stretch. You know what I mean? There, that's baseball, you know, and the flip side of that can easily happen, uh, and, you know, and like I said a little bit earlier is, is more the exception than the rule. But um, if that's something you want to try to believe in, then that's that's probably your best bet as far as uh, this team being a winning baseball team. You know, that's kind of the route we've decided that we're going to go. Um, it's certainly not impossible. And I'm always going to sit here root for a win. Um, I, I guess kind of the, the flip side of your argument, Jordan, is I just – I've watched enough losing White Sox baseball that I'm convinced that it's I don't I think we could lose 100 games and I don't know if it's necessarily going to change up on Mount Jerry unfortunately. That's just kind of where we're at. He's a he's a stubborn guy to say it very nicely. Um and I think his comments in California speak that uh over the past week. I'm sure everybody caught that on Twitter if you didn't. Um but yeah, it's uh it's a situation where if it doesn't get figured out soon, uh, we're going to end up having to sell off pieces, and I think uh, I think that's just kind of the reality of it. Yeah, and I mean, like it's uh, again, it's all hypothetical. Like, oh, maybe this will be the time when big changes. Like, I, I think the fan base is pretty 
unanimous in their desire for something to shake up here. Like it's feeling like this really isn't working from the players all the way up. There's no guarantee that losing all these games is going to lead to that either. Like, are are you convinced for sure, a hundred percent, that yes, if they lose ninety five games this year, that yep, they're just going to shake everything up and we're going to try this again with a completely different, maybe not a rebuild, but a retool with different people making the decisions that everybody seems to want, but it's like, are you convinced that's going to happen? Are you sure? Because if not, you just watch 95 losses and nothing's changed. It's like, it's, it's why when you're supposed to be winning baseball games, we, we spent years rooting for losses. Now let's root for some wins and go from there. Let's see where the chips fall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like football where you can tank and go get the best quarterback in the draft or mm-hmm. the best player in the draft. Baseball doesn't totally work that way, and even when you can go get that guy, it's not an immediate thing. It's uh, it's a kicking off of rebuild, and you're about to hit a lot of years of losing, even in years you're probably wishing that we're not losing. But anyway, speaking a lot of losing, because that was probably the most pretty dark portion of the podcast there for a minute, just discussing uh, how bad it can get. But I do think it's important to acknowledge the uh, Bob Nightingale article that came up this past week. Um, discussing Lucas Giolito not being with the team next year and potentially looking at trade packages for Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, and potentially Lucas Giolito at the deadline if things really do fall off the rails for the White Sox. Um, Nick, I'll go ahead and let you start with this one. Um, is there anything in this this article that really surprised you? Um, does this seem like something that was a, a, a buy-op to get the White Sox uh, markets going through uh, quote-unquote forces? That Bob Nightingale might have, or do you think this is uh, this is Bob just being Bob? I mean, well, first of all, I'm not really surprised by anything in the article, and I do I buy it because, as we all know, the White Sox tend to leak things through Bob Nightingale, whether it's you know Kenny Williams or or Reinsdorf, they probably all have their own sources, but um, I, I, I do believe it, and part of that reason is because I've never really felt like Lucas Giolito was going to be on the White Sox past this contract throughout all the interviews over the years where either it's Giolito being asked or if it's someone on the White Sox being asked, there's always a, a statement of like, yeah, I want to be here. Yeah, we want Giolito here. Like he's a good pitcher and a good guy, et cetera. But it never, you just never feel like they're actually going to agree on something. You'd assume they've negotiated over the years, especially back prior to last year when he was, you know, very good. And they've just never been able to come to, to an agreement. The White Sox also historically don't really pay, um, top dollar for starting pitchers which at this rate i mean no one's really talking about it but giolito has actually been like quite good this year i think there was a bit of a fluky like unlucky start but since then he's been been, like very solid um, almost on par with his like 2019 through 2021 stretch if not on par with it so i'd like for him to be here i want him to be here but i've never gotten the sense that he will be so for me it it makes sense and it's it's interesting timing is one way to put it like the fact that it's leaking out right now but we can speculate as to that that's my thing i'm like why do you want this information it's may what good does it do you to have a a source that people know you know bob nightingale whatever fans have come to know that you know when bob says something about the white Sox, you should probably believe they want it out there for some reason What's the point in May? It's only going to tank any trade value at the um, at the deadline. It really – you show your hand about a qualifying offer if he ends up staying through the season. You, you showed your hand, essentially. This is like – there's no benefit 
to having the information out. Now, the the substance of the information is wild. The fact that you have decided in May that you are not going to bring back, number one, someone who's been your best pitcher so far this year out of the rotation, and number two, has, who has been one of the most consistent since 2019. 2022 is rough, but 2019, 2021, or 2020, 2021, and 2023 have all been solid years. Four out of the fa- past five years, now 2022 becomes an outlier. You've decided in mid-May that you're done with that guy, who's probably only going to make like maybe a four-year, $70, $75 million contract at this point. I don't think he's getting $20 million. You look at guys like uh, Tyone and uh, Tyron Walker are two good comps of like $18, $19 million deals. That's probably what he's going to get. You're not going to have to break the bank like you thought you did, and you're already saying, nope, we're done. Your rotation next year is Cease, Kopech, and you have options on Lynn, who has not looked great, and Clevenger, who has looked fine for a five starter. And you're like, yep, we're not gonna, we're for sure not gonna pay a guy eighteen million dollars, who's been really, really consistent. I think that's crazy to have out in May. Yeah, no, it and it it just it feels like a testing of the market almost. You know, it almost it was almost one of those things that they leaked out and wondering, okay, now when are the phone calls gonna line in? You know, it's I'm with I'm with you guys. You know, like I think May is a weird time for this to leak. You know, it's certainly a situation where is it realistic that Lucas Giolito could get moved at the deadline? Yes, because you know that was something I was talking about before the season even started. Um, just because of if Lucas is pitching well enough, it could hit a point where the White Sox aren't going to be able to afford it to bring him back. Well, they could afford him, but we know how that goes. Um, and it's uh, it's a situation where. You know, it. We we are in the hottest week of the season, and you decide to bring this out. You know, is this a situation where you are kind of throwing up the white flag right now, even with these wins? Um, what is the organization really feeling about where the where the team is? Um, it's just it's just strange to me. And you know, Jordan, to your point about him being the uh, the best pitcher in the rotation. You know, last five starts, he is giving up a one point seven one batting average, uh, 0.242 on base percentage. That's that's really good. That is really good in this rotation as well, especially from what we've been getting from some of these other guys. Um, so it is definitely interesting to see. You know, maybe they are starting to gauge that the market is going to be a little bit high if he continues to pitch this level for us. Um, and you know, I just I'm with you on the point, Nick, where I it never really felt like he was going to be someone that was going to be brought back. You know, it's uh, I had to watch this team let Mark Burley walk for free, and uh, if you can let Mark Burley walk for free with how leadership is currently constructed certainly Lucas Giolito has a very very realistic shot that that could happen as well but I think um, I think a more realistic chance is if this team does fall apart that he gets sent at the uh, at the deadline yeah and it's especially frustrating for me because as of right now next year's White Sox rotation only is going to have Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech as guys who are under contract you have a team option on on Lennon Clevenger but I would be surprised I mean it's early but I would be surprised if either of those are worth getting picked up at this point. So you really have three open spots in your rotation, and you're already saying you're not going to bring back, um, you know, the best pitcher in it so far. And, yeah, sure, they can sign people. They have, you know, Christian Mena, a couple interesting prospects that are that might be close to major league ready. But it's still just, it, I guess, maybe if you're not trying to compete, it's okay next year. Who knows what the plan will be, like if it's a rebuild, retool year. But at the same time, that's a lot of question marks in a rotation that you're leaving wide open. And the other thing I want to add um um, the whole conversation is that I think that really my fear, and, and I wrote about this um, 
on our website, I think a week or two ago, that it was like, where should the reeling White Sox go from here? And the premise of that was basically, I'm worried that they're going to keep losing, I mean, at least a little bit, or maybe go 500 to the point where they sell off, but they're not going to sell off enough, which is not me saying they need to trade Cease, trade Robert, et cetera. I don't necessarily think they need that. But what they do need to do is if they're going to trade people like Giolito, then they also need to trade uh, Graveman, Kelly, Grandal, Lynn, anyone who's under contract for just this year and arguably maybe next year or two if you want to go down that road. You can't just trade Giolito on a reliever or two and if, and assume, oh, the farm system's a little bit better now and you know everything will be good. Like You have to replenish the system a bit more than that, kind of like what the Cubs did. They um, It's too early to say that it was a success, but they traded pretty much everyone outside of like Wilson Contreras, and it did wonders for their farm system. So that's what I would like to see. My fear is that they, if they do this, they only trade like a couple guys. And I don't know what I'm basing that on. Honestly, it might just be that I didn't love the way they um, sort of used to half-ass things, especially before the rebuilds. Maybe they're different now, but that's that's where I'm at. Nick, you, you hit the nail on the head. What's the plan? Like, if you're already deciding that Giolito's not coming back, and fans are going to be like, well, he probably doesn't want to come back either, the whole arbitration thing a few years ago, family out in California. Like, I get all of that. I get why Giolito wouldn't want to come back. I understand that completely. It takes two to tango, 100%. But you are stating that he is not coming back essentially next year. What's your plan? Like, are you saying we're, we're, this is the end of this first window and we're going to reassess then? You don't have anything in the pipeline. Like, you brought up Mark Burley, Duke. Like, the Sox had a plan there. They, they chose John Danks instead. That was a very clear case of we're only going to pay one of these lefties. We're going to choose this one. Didn't work out, but you understood the plan. Here's what they were doing. In May, saying that one of your most consistent starting pitchers for the past five seasons, outside of one year, is not coming back, and there's no clear alternative, and he's not going to break the bank, I don't even think he makes the $25 million that we're going to pay Wheeler. I don't, even, I don't think he comes close to that. What's your plan? What, that, that is the wildest part of all of this. Is, it's like, there's no clear... Davis Martin is not a clear alternative. Christian Mena, not a clear alternative. So you're going to have to pay someone else, so fine, but you're going to have to pay multiple guys, probably. It's like, I, I just... I don't get the point of deciding in May that, you know, it's not like, oh, they're probably going to offer him the QO and then let him walk. I just don't, right now, I just don't get that part. That That is the part that has blown my mind about a lot of things from this year. So I will, a name that I have not heard brought up, and it's it's kind of the Rick Hahn special. It's somebody that he's obviously very high on, and he's discussed potentially being a starter in the past. But are we potentially overlooking the potential of Garrett Crochet being a starter? Yes and no. Like, if you're going to make Crochet a starter next year, he's going to be in, like, 2021 Kopech form where it's like you're limited to 115 innings. So you still need a five-starter. You're not sure if Crochet can start either, though. It's like, if that's I, your plan, I'm like... I'm not, I feel I'm like, not saying... I'm not saying that's the right plan. Yeah. I'm saying Rick Hahn in the past has, even with the injuries mm-hmm. involved, has been pretty adamant about the idea of Garrett Crochet potentially being a long-term starting pitcher. Sure, but that seems like the replacement to not pick up the $12 million option on Clevenger. Or to not even... I'd even go so far to say that makes more sense to not pick up Lynn's $18 million option and instead go with Crochet there. 
Like, I think Lynn, this might be Lynn's last contract. He's 36, 37. I oh, think sure. even that makes more sense. It's like, but making Crochet the replacement for Giolito, at least so far through this season, that by the end of the season, this might be a complete just old takes exposed type thing. I completely understand that. But at this point in the season, to make that call just doesn't align in, in my head. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely I, – I agree. Um, and I, I don't think it would be like a direct replacement type thing. You know, I think, I think when you look at a starting rotation, you have to kind of look fluid. But I think that is one of the names they could potentially be looking at as far as kind of overhauling the pitching rotation after the season's over. Um, what those other names look like, you know, is Davis Webb one of those guys? I think there's potential for that. Um, I, I think you guys nailed, nailed it on the head. Like, what is the plan? You know, I just, I don't see the positive outside of maybe pushing Lucas to pitch some incredible baseball, knowing he's not going to be here next year. And he's going to start playing for his next, his first big contract and potentially trying to get a haul at the deadline for a team that's needy for him. But even then, why do that in a week where you're just playing very good baseball and you look like you could potentially find a way to turn it around? It's the timing of it is weird, you know, and I know we haven't touched really much on Kelly and Graveman, but those seem like situations as well where those make sense. You know, Graveman was a guy that was brought in to help us win like now. Um, And, you know, Joe Kelly was kind of the same thing. And obviously, if it hits a situation where we're not going to win now, what's the point of holding on to those two arms? And it's to Nick's point. I think you made the point briefly. It's like selling these two guys off. It's like a Ryan Tapera deal where it's like you get you you give up like a Bailey Horn type player and you really don't hear too much from them again. Um, it's like you're not going to replenish a farm system by trading Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman. So it's like again, what's your plan? Yeah, for sure. And I think that just on the whole thing, it's like when Jordan said, "Oh, maybe you're just going to not." trade Giolito and then give him the qualifying offer because that's one way also to ensure that's probably better than like a I know you were saying this about Kelly and Graver, but that's like better than a Bailey Horn type prospect that's basically a second round draft pick however I'm not even convinced they would give him a qualifying offer after the Rodon situation True. like it seemed pretty obvious to give it to him there and they didn't and then they lost out on that draft pick so who knows um with what they're going to do I will say as to like the why I decided on this now the only thing I can think of not to sound too conspiratorial but we do know I mean, if you're not familiar with the 1994 um, player strike, Jerry Reinsdorf was very um, instrumental in that in terms of, in a, in a bad way, <laughs> instrumental in making sure that the sides didn't come to an agreement that the players did strike. So he does not, he's well documented of not really liking the players' union. And we also know that Lucas Giolito is well documented as liking the players' union, being involved with it. I'm not saying that's like the sole reason they would decide to not resign him, but I am saying that there might be something there because they're the only thing I can think of given that his on-field performance has been a lot better and that it's a clear need for the team. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that's I think that's a really good point. I think that's an underrated point. I love people digging into Jerry Reinsdorf pass a little bit more, especially when he became the owner of the White Sox because um, you wouldn't believe how many people I've brought up the fact that we could have potentially been the Tampa Bay White Sox and – a lot of people never even knew about that, you know, and I think, uh, I think I think when you really look deeper, when you already think Jerry Reinsdorf's kind of uh, the way he is, when you look a little bit deeper, you're like, wow, this is uh, it's a real winner of an owner that we have. But anyway, um, you know, I think uh, 
I, I think those are some really good points, and I think there's things they're looking forward. Um, and I also think with Lucas Giolito, we don't know things that are going behind the scene. Maybe maybe talks between him and the team have completely shut down. Maybe this is a situation where Lucas is like, I want to see the open market because I don't think I'm going to get paid what I'm going to want here. And the White Sox put their hands up and decided, okay, well, we're not going to bother negotiating good faith anymore then. So it's it's going to be something that's going to play forward. Bob Nightingale dropping a White Sox article is always just my favorite Twitter event in the world because it always just is an absolute nuclear bomb that everybody just – has has takes on so it's always nice to be able to cover it it's just a really weird timing of it but anyway i think it's a good spot for us to wrap up obviously um you know the white Sox are what the white Sox are right now hopefully we continue our winning ways but um ladies and gentlemen that is all we have for this week this has been the white Sox on 35th podcast be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify youtube and anywhere else you get your podcast also be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com as well as following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We'll be back next week as we cover another hopefully exciting week of White Sox baseball. Thank you and go Sox! Let's have another winning week. Go Sox! Go Sox! <laughs> <laughs>